Total Wine & More is a wonderland to explore. Thousands of wines and spirits, unexpected pairings and great gifts, low prices and helpful guides. Make the holidays magical at Total Wine & More. Drink responsibly, be 21. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 1400. I'm your host, Jeff Alpin, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome to the first podcast to ever hit 1400 episodes in the job search category. No BS Job Search Advice Radio hits that today. Yay! And I decided to commemorate it with an episode from an interview I did with Dana Mansiagli. Uh, Dana has a book out called Cut the Crap, which is why we call this show No BS. <laughs> and uh, I hope you find it helpful. Hope you find it interesting, engaging personality. And um, again, hope you like the show. And with that, I'm just going to get going, okay? My guest today is Dana Mansiagli. Dana worked at Microsoft where he's general manager of worldwide sales and hired over a thousand people during her career. She leveraged her 30-year career in marketing and sales to help job seekers and career climbers meet goals and now is a globally recognized career and networking expert. She's the author of I love the title of this book. Cut the Crap, Get a Job, and founder of the online course, Job Search Masterclass. Dana, thank you for your patience there. Welcome. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Jeff. Great being here. Took a couple of times to get it right, but I got it right. <laughs> so when I think of the job search, it's kind of like running a high hurdles race. There's one roadblock, and you leap over that, and then another, and then another, and then another, until you finally get to the finish line. We're doing a, a conversation about interviewing today and doing it well. So I'm curious. You know, there are lots of different ways that people um, jump over hurdles. How do you see people starting this race, getting themselves ready, and uh, we're going to walk through the entire race here. Yeah, I love your analogy there and the picture, the graphic of the hurdle race. And why? Because those hurdles are placed in specific locations strategically to go in order of the right hurdle at the right time. And whether we've ran hurdles or not, we can all picture that race. So what I like about it is you you, you already drew the picture of a process. There is a fixed definite process and people train to run over those hurdles. What I see in the job process, job search process, is people randomly choosing, oh, you know what, I'm just going to skip hurdle one and two. I'm going to go walk over there and just do number three. Or you know what, I'm going to hurdle over that last one and then I'll catch one and two at a later point in time. So in an order of hurdles or in Ready, aim, fire. It's actually people are out there firing, aiming, and maybe never ready. So that's why I really like the discipline structure of job search that leads to the final hurdle of interviewing. Yay! <laughs> I, I always think of the final hurdle as being the negotiation, but interviewing, it's one of the big ones. So 
when I think of this metaphor, I think of all the steps that go into the pre-work to get someone ready for interview. And folks, if you've heard me or watched me before, you've heard me say the skills needed to find a job are different than those needed to do a job. And most of you go into the process thinking that all you have to do is announce your existence and regurgitate a bunch of facts and everything's going to be fine. And it doesn't work that way. So how do you start coaching people to get them ready for this race? Oh, yeah. And, and Jeff, you and I are both baby boomers, and that used to work, frankly. The schmoozing and, hey, when I meet someone, get in with the right person. The whole game of jobs, job searching for all executives through, let's say, through college graduates, young professionals has changed remarkably. Not only in the last five years, but the anticipation for the next five is continued dramatic change. So what I see in, in all that change is you've got to be better than that uh, just, to be, just to compete. So while the job market's healthy, it's still highly competitive. And it does start with the preparation. You know, Jeff, I, I scratch my head because when someone wants to learn a new instrument or speak a foreign language, what do they do? They go out and learn it, right? Read a book, listen to audio tapes, take a class and learn how to hit that golf ball. Why in job search do people wing it? They don't believe they need to prep. They don't know they need that they don't know what they don't know. So I am all about the three big stages of ready, aim, get hired. And if everyone can pause out there on shipping out resumes and do some homework beforehand, they would fare so much better. They'd get a better paying job and they wouldn't face all the frustration that exists of being a job seeker because it stinks to be in job seeking mode. You're absolutely right. And, and great athletes all practice. The greatest athletes in the world practice. The greatest entertainers in the world all rehearse. And job hunters go on interviews and they wing it. <laughs> These people make 25 to $40 million a year before endorsements. And you wonder why you don't even get the opportunity to step up. So it all makes sense. So three stages, ready, aim, fire. How do they get ready? Oh, yes. And I've even changed that to ready, aim, get hired because that's our goal. And unfortunately, we don't want to use the word fired there. So we'll say get hired. Okay. The ready section is the one that's least utilized and the most important. It becomes the foundation of everything moving forward. And that is only about setting your goal and then deeply understanding what that next career move is. So I'm not asking for five years out, 10 years out, where you, what, what are you going to be doing? This is your next career move. And that is, what title is it? So if you could fill in the blanks on, if everyone could, in a succinct answer, say, I want to be in what function, at what, in what industry, in what city? A very simple goal statement. It actually answers one of the elevator pitch questions is, what are you looking for? And people don't know how to answer that. So that's step one of ready is pick a goal. Is it big, brown, has two ears and goes growl? Great. Know what it is. Now go research what are the requirements of today's bear? Go pull down 10 job descriptions, highlight the skill words, the keywords, key phrases, and really research your buyer. 
the hiring team, your future employer in general, and really absorb that because you're a product and you want to now then moving forward into AIM, you can now take all that juicy information and get your job search tools ready. And it also sounds like once you've identified the keywords, the language and such, you can identify skills gaps that you can work on rectifying because sometimes this may not be the right time for you to make the change because there are just too many deficiencies. Uh, so there's ample time to rectify them. Uh, but at the same time, unless you know what the target is, you have no idea what you're aiming for. Oh, yeah, and you have two choices, frankly, is you can choose to rectify them or change your goal. Say, so, uh-oh, those are all too high level for me. They're all requiring eight to ten years. I have three to five. Let me change title types. Let me redo my search, what I call the window shopping. I'm not applying to any of those jobs, but I'm okay if someone meets about 60 to 70% of the requirements. Where I'm not okay is if someone chooses not to apply or not to reach for a job because of those gaps. And I want to reinforce to everybody that job descriptions are written for the perfect person who doesn't exist. So while you're window shopping, don't get discouraged. Don't start saying, I can't do that. I have that gap. They want me to speak Swahili. I don't speak Swahili. Guess what? You're going to learn that on the job. So definitely aspire to really great jobs, even if you're missing some key characteristics. And just to be clear, she said you know, 60, 70%, I believe it was, yes. versus I used to get resumes when I worked in search. The people applying for the Java developer jobs who hadn't taken a class, but they were Purdue chicken pluckers and wanted to do this. Uh, that doesn't make it. No, I call that RAA, random acts of application. And we as hiring managers know, and it'll, it'll fast track you into the no pile anyway, because it shows uh, that there's just, this person is just spraying and praying resumes, has no business applying for this job. Don't be that person. And I remember another guest I had on uh, my show, Job Search Radio, spoke about how in their ATS, they were able to block such people. Because these are also folks who become serial appliers. Now, people who will respond to any job in their organization just because they want to get in. And their, their parents told them, send it in, you never know. And they're bombed bombarding an organization, and who has time for this? Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. They will be blocked, and uh, and the, the robot will block them because of that purpose. And I, my, my rule of thumb is apply to three jobs within one company, especially the big companies, because they often have similar jobs. So if you want to be in business development, you see three unique positions at Amazon or Microsoft, then apply later. We're not even in the application phase. That's out there and get hired. But later, then definitely apply for three, no more than three. Versus, you know, three jobs that have nothing to do with one another, but yeah. you want to get in. <laughs> yes. Maybe some, this person will know someone. Doesn't work that way, folks. Just doesn't. So what, goes, what else goes into the ready phase, or should we move on to the next one? 
Yeah, it's kind of like a, a hill we're coming over. So ready is actually, uh, it varies in terms of intensity based on someone who's really stuck and doesn't know what they want to do next. Uh, Jeff, I train transitioning veterans, transitioning service members out of the military, and they're making massive career changes. Just because they were an ammunition truck driver doesn't mean they cannot get into being a network analyst in a tech company, and they can. But that ready phase is all about researching what it is, what are your passions, what do you think you can do, what are you capable of doing next. So that can take a lot of time for some, for others, nope, I know exactly what I want. So let's move right into AIM. Uh, they need to do the work in ready, but AIM is the biggest piece of work. Yeah, and I'm fascinated by the example that she gave yeah. of the person who drives a munitions truck, for example, and they want to get into networking. Like, how does that connection work? Uh, well, first, there is some, I call it hard skills training that they should take, but they can be accelerated. It doesn't have to be two years. So hard skills would be learn the technical side of networking, technical networking, like through Cisco, through Microsoft programs. The vets have a ton of skills training that's offered to them, at even 180 days before they exit. So there's some phenomenal, as there is for non-military folks, so speaking to everybody, is you can find amazing amazing skills training programs online, etc. And then what they do is reposition themselves because they do have fabulous soft skills. They don't know how to brag about those outside of military terms. So we help them, hey, cross-team collaboration, leadership skills, managing others. They've led teams of 500 people and uh, many of them, project management, so these are not super soft, like you know, loyalty there, and they're incredibly am ambitious and all that, but they're, they're relevant skills that are definitely transferable. And what I find with not only the vets and non-vets is they, they don't believe it. It's their, their own mindset, embracing the fact that, wow, I do have those skills. So there's an uncovering of and an awareness that leads to the AIM section, which is, okay, now how do I communicate all that great stuff to the buyer, the hiring team? When does networking get into this? Because I've got to imagine part of the ready phase is networking in order to get to the point where they're in the application phase. Uh, am yes. I wrong? You're right. However, we're not even there yet. So in my Cut the Crap, Get a Job book or Job Search Masterclass, my students continue to hear, wait, don't apply yet. Don't apply yet. You're almost there. You're almost there. So they need to not network while in the ready phase because they're not ready to have those critical conversations. Same in the AIM. Let's finish AIM because networking is coming with the application. You're absolutely right. The AIM is, this, is, is getting all of your tools lined up before you touch a company or a network. And that means not just a resume. Everyone has resume-itis. But we want them to have a great resume. It is not the only bullet you've got and, the only, and you need more. The other one is a cover letter. It's getting your LinkedIn profile 
to a great state, following your resume. It is preparing to interview. We do that in AIM. So get interview ready before you apply. That way you don't bomb it when you get that phone call. And same with networking. Learn how to network before you go and do it. So the AIM picture a shelf that has slots for different documents. That's what we're filling up first. We want all the shelves filled up with a practice document, a, a template I give to everybody to get each one of those pieces of materials ready, singing your best tune. Beautiful. I know I tend to get people not immediately at the beginning of their search. I tend to get them at the point where they've hit their head against the wall a number of times and they don't know what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. So I tend to start off at the interview prep phase because we don't know when the phone is going to ring and someone is recruiting them for a role. So I try to get them ready for interviews right away. But it's interesting, you, know, you spoke about getting their LinkedIn profile ready. And I'm LinkedIn member 7653. I recognize the value or the potential value back in the day. But for those who might be less knowledgeable than we, could you tell them why LinkedIn is so important now? Oh, yes. Not only is it more important now, the anticipation for the next five years. Now, my crystal ball says in five years that you candidates will no longer be applying online. Recruiters and hiring teams will just go to LinkedIn and find the people they want. So everybody's profile, even if you're happily employed, needs to be at a great level. So you found on page one of whoever's looking for you. But let's rewind because while LinkedIn is more important, it's also easier today. And the reason why it's easier is because I want my, my students do a resume first. So by the way, I get people who are way out spraying and praying resumes, and I got to bring them all the way back to ready because they don't even know what they're hunting for. So we have ready, we have aim. In aim, Jeff, the resume is done first because that forces us to pivot those skill sets and change the whole document is that exercise of telling your story. Then you copy and paste your resume into LinkedIn. That's why it's easier, because my resume has a great summary. That's your summary section in LinkedIn. It's also got all of your experiences, boom, copy, paste, your skills, everything. And that's what recruiters want to see on a LinkedIn, is they want to see your resume. It's not a limited version of yourself. It is yourself. on. It's a digital resume. So LinkedIn is important for two main reasons to answer your question. Number one. So you simply have a great brand profile. So anybody who happens to come across you understands your great background and who, we are, who you are and what you do for a living right now. However, you can also be found on LinkedIn. So wouldn't it be great instead of banging your head against that frustration wall to get a phone call from someone who says, hey, we'd like to talk to you. That's the objective. It's one big fat algorithm and we want everyone present and winning. It's funny, um, and many folks don't realize this, but LinkedIn sells access to the entire database to corporate and third-party recruiters. You get access to a more limited version in the different products that they make available to job hunters. But what you want to be doing is having a great product 
uh, on LinkedIn congruent with your resume. And in, from this, making it easy for folks to find you and be interested in you because it's keyword rich. Uh, I also think in terms of their version of Office 365 that links to LinkedIn. So that people, as you're sending an email to them, they're seeing your profile. Many of you I know don't know this because I just noticed the shock that people have when I mention it to them, just like an interview I did with Tracy Levine earlier in the week who mentioned that they're now using AI as part of LinkedIn Recruiter to identify whether you're following their firm and thus prioritizing you over someone who isn't. Fascinating interview that I did. Anyway, back to, to you. I apologize there for the digression. Um, so we're starting to get them to aim and creating you know, the, the products here to support their candidacy. Okay, so we've got the resume, we've got the cover letter, got the LinkedIn profile. Where next? And you've got your interview prep. So I, I do an interview guide. I want everyone to write out their answers and bullet points to the most commonly asked interview questions. Tell me about yourself and what you've been doing professionally, please. Yes, I'm on the other side of the table asking the basics. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Why is tell me about yourself the number one question asked and the one worstly managed and handled by candidates because they're not prepared. So I love that just the basic questions, get your act in order. And by the way, it'll be easy because you just did a lot of work for your resume. So flow with the same key messages. What are your strengths? Well, they should be highlighted on your resume as well. So it's a consistency across the board. So interview prep is key. Now, it's a finite number of tools. So once those are done, we're ready to start getting hired. And that's the third phase where you're actually touching people and robots. But before that point, I recommend everyone pause and get their act together before they go out and even network. Let's talk about networking because if, if people are networking too, too early, Jeff, they're going to show up in that, meet someone at their office, I hope versus a Starbucks, and meet someone in an office environment, and there, guess what? That's an interview. They're checking you out, and this is a big misnomer. A big myth is, oh, I'm just networking with them. No, they become part of your search. It's the way you look, the way you talk. They're going to ask you some questions. You better be prepared. So networking is part of job searching, and I recommend all that pause until you're ready to go out and hunt. So true. Um, if you don't think that people are giving you the once over when you're asking them for advice, if you don't think that they're measuring you, you're mistaken because the reality is they know that even if you're not asking for a job, you're asking for advice, even though you're not asking for a job, they're going to be thinking of you that way and trying to tie something in their mind to another situation and asking them the question and themselves the question, would I risk putting this person in front of them? Exactly. So let's play out a, uh, there's networking, a standard conversation with a total stranger. So I'll be the, I'll be Jim, the, the corporate hiring manager and Sally walks in as the, the job seeker, and I, I, Jim, say, 
hey, you know, tell, great, Sally, we did some chit-chat, great to know you. Now, what are you looking for? I'm just that question alone from Jim, Sally needs to be able to say, oh, glad you asked. I'm looking for a paralegal position in, in a law firm in downtown Seattle. The conversation then, Jim is thinking already, is this someone I'm going, because Sally should ask, do you know anyone who works at these three law firms? So feel free to ask for some connection. Jim has already decided whether or not he's going to give you phone numbers, names, refer you, help you out, or not. So those connections are super important. I know I made a joke about Starbucks earlier, and I want to elaborate on that. Let's rewind pre-Starbucks days. I know some of our listeners can't, but pretend that there were none. Why would you pick, to, if you're going to network about your job search, something really important, or a sales call, why would you pick the noisiest place that has limited seating, where you have wait in line, and people are calling out drinks for Sally? Um, so everyone who's a networker or job seeker, you know, pick again, and always recommend their office first. You drive to their office or a web call where it's quiet in your house and in their office, uh, of course, or a, ho a hotel lobby. But folks, you know, just, I know it's cool and it sounds great, but if they want to meet in a Starbucks, you say yes. And I use Starbucks as a placeholder for a loud location. Gotcha. And, you know, I'll also interject that when they say, so what are you looking for, Sally? You can't make it up on the spot. <laughs> As so many people tend to do. So much of creating trust, which is a big part of what I coach people about, is understanding that they want to trust you if they hire you, if they refer you. It involves speaking with a degree of certainty and confidence and conviction. It doesn't mean that you're not flexible, but if you speak like Dana or I, your advantage versus, versus well, you know, I, I would think about something along, along yeah, I would consider, some, you know, you can't do that. Well, Jeff, you want to know the most common, common answer to Please. what are you looking for? Is, oh, let me tell you about my background. I have two degrees in this. I've been a shoe repair person. I then did this, been an engineer. And they're relying on the listener to not only slog through all that, it doesn't land on answering the question. So the question, it's a different elevator pitch question, is tell me about yourself or tell me about your background. But listen, folks, when someone says, what do you want to do next? They want to hear the future. So don't go through your resume walkthrough. I agree wholeheartedly. Answer the friggin' question. <laughs> Versus, you know, when I worked in search, I would say, tell me about what you've done professionally now. That's a gateway question for a lengthy conversation. However, my expectation is a minute and a half tops, knowing I've got a limited attention span, and they have a limited attention span, and they're starting to do the entire interview for me. Four minutes later, I have to ask, do you remember my original question? They don't. No, they don't. 
So if I can, I'd like to offer a tip for everybody um, on your show, Jeff, for how to answer, tell me about yourself. Because it is easy to just fall into a resume walkthrough, which frankly is extremely boring for you and for them. So I would like, well, the, the first one is absolutely look forward to it. it the first bullet point in your flow is your education. No matter if you're a senior executive or transitioning service member, just at least just get through edu. Um, and just whether you have a bachelor's or an associate's degree or a master's, just quickly state that. Then get right into a professional summary. And that is looking down on the balcony of your background, summarize it at the highest level. Hey, I have 30 years in tech sales and marketing. The most recent 12 years were at Microsoft as GM of Worldwide Sales, and now I run my own business. Zip it. And then the final bullet point, law of threes, three bullet points, the final one is I'm here today because... So you're connecting the dots from education, professional overview, and I'm here today because I'm looking to make a change into becoming a developer of C++, and that's what I want to talk to you about. So it brings the whole thing home and back to having a conversation with the other person. Now, I know we disagree about this, but I normally will talk with people and have them start the interview before the tell me about yourself question. So if it's a phone call, if it's a video interview, if it's a referral from an agent or what have you, you know, I have, have folks start up. I said, hey, thanks so much for making time to speak with me today. You know, I spoke with Dan about the job or I saw the ad in the job description, but I want to get your take on the role. Could you tell me about the position as you see it and what I can do to help? So that this way you can hear the current thinking about the role, which is sometimes a little bit different than the job description. So then from there, when they go into the tell me about yourself question, I agree. You start off with the big picture perspective, 15 to 30 seconds times. And then from there, I do a segue because I now know what they're looking for. Uh, so I can then say, but what's probably most relevant about my background is my experience with such and such where I was involved with. And you completed the entire thing in a minute 15 tops so that this way the conversation is interactive. Now, is that so terrible? <laughs> no, I like that. I just don't think the candidate, so that's you from a recruiter perspective, you had a flow too. But mm -hmm. I think if, if I'm on the hiring side of the table and I ask, tell me about yourself, I don't recommend someone change the topic. So yes, I'll do that in a minute, but first can I learn more about the job? I don't think you have the luxury of doing that and you often forget to even answer that question they had. So it's possible that you as a candidate in the interview or networking, mostly the interview, A, you've studied the crap out of their job description. You've gone to Glassdoor. You've researched that other people in that position. You've done your homework. But yes, if you have the opportunity as a candidate early on to seek elaboration or clarification on the job description, fine. I'm in many cases, I can't control that. Once, so I was really once they ask the question, it's too late. Yeah, it's too late. So I was just diving into, hey, if you're asked, tell me about yourself, 
here's a way to answer it. And uh, don't try to bypass it. Don't try, well, I'll hold off on that. You know, you've got to get right into it with enthusiasm. And, hey, I'm proud. Be loud and proud. Sit up taller. And I am. In, I want to tell you, here's my education background. Here's my professional background. And I'm excited to be here today because your role leverages all the strengths I have in analytics and development, et cetera. So it gives you a platform at the end to then make yourself relevant. I agree. Once the question has been asked, you can't say time out. I want to ask you something first. (laughs) This has to proceed is perhaps as the two of you are sitting down and you're in the process of lowering your derriere into the chair. That's when you can ask. But after that, once they've started, you're giving, you know, you're giving the baton to them and allowing them to use it as they see fit. So I agree with you about that. I just like throwing that one. Oh, it's a great one. And it also depends on who you're across the table from, whether it's on video and phone. Oftentimes, it's a recruiter who has a stack of 20 jobs on his or her desk, and they don't know a whole lot more than what's in that job description. So Mm -hmm. it's a great effort to try to get a little more meat on the bones. But oftentimes, your best, and I tell everyone, your your best friend is that job description, whether it's written poorly or well, out of your control. But those have keywords, skills, characteristics they're looking for, and you got to play off of that. So we both know that the answer to tell me about yourself is really the gateway to the rest of the conversation. And a skilled interviewer is going to listen to your answer and go explore. And thus, how do you get folks prepared to deal with the next questions that are the natural follow-up for that? Good. Well, I prepare all of my students and candidates, of course, they're senior students, uh, for frameworks that they can lean on. There's no way to be prepared for every type of question you're going to get. So here are a few frameworks. Number one, the law of threes. Say When you're asked something, anything, say three things and stop talking. Too many people just babble on and on and on, and they completely lose track. And we do that when we're nervous. So think of three bullet points, even if you're making them up on the fly. So that's framework number one, a rule for the whole interview. The other one is the most commonly asked current question. This is a change for many of our baby boomer peers, is the behavioral questions or situational. And they all sound a theme like, tell me a time when. Or have you had experience in this? Tell me about it. Have you ever faced a challenging coworker? So those are all invitations to do stories. And the gone are the days of the hypothetical. Hey, let me paint a scenario. What would you do? Because it was too easy for candidates to just make shit up, right? So and now we want a structured way to answer those questions of, situations. And that is what I have reduced to a SAR, S-A-R. And I know there's stars and there's soars, but I have S is situation, A is the actions I took, and R is the results. And you should say those words. So, Bill, thank you for asking me for that experience. The situation was... I had a challenging coworker. We just didn't see eye to eye, and it was going downhill fast. 
the actions I took were I met with him, we had a conversation, we went out for a few beers and got everything out on the table. And as a result, we now work closely together on just about every project. That is a SAR, and you say S-A-R. So that's another framework. I'll pause here. That's okay. Every story has to have a happy ending. <laughs> Just like when you were a little child, every story you heard, unless it was a Disney story, where there was one of these classic scenarios where parent gets killed off somewhere in the middle. But ultimately, there's got to be a happy ending to the story. So make sure you've got the win in there. Do you have people do the metrics uh, as yes, part of the result? Exactly. The R is the most challenging one because most candidates say, well, I don't have any metrics for it, so I'm not going to state an R. And it doesn't have to be. Now, first, you don't want to disclose any proprietary numbers in that R. Big mistake. You'd lose all kinds of points if you're sharing non-public non numbers, so don't do that. Talk in percentages. Yes, I increased inventory turnover by 10% or customer satisfaction went up more for my team than another team. Notice no number at all. Or I was the top performer in that or my team placed first in that, in that presentation. So please, everyone has results. Now we're all differ on happy ending is if the, if the question is, tell me a time when you failed. Okay, but there's still SAR, situation, action. As a result, bomb the whole thing, the product line was shut down, and I was asked to look for another position because it's, the conversation is going to go to what did you learn. So um, that, that gives you an, an out on a happy ending. You can really throw yourself under the bus for, and take humble pills in that regard. Which is also important these days because – and the more senior you are, there's an expectation of emotional intelligence mm -hmm. in the part of the candidate. And you know, if you basically start pointing fingers at others for your failures without taking ownership, you're dead. Yes. You're dead in the water. So you got to own up to your mistakes, be aware of the learnings, eat a little crow in front of them. Uh, and in front of them is the big part of this uh, because it demonstrates humility. That organizations, the more senior you are, they like that much more. Whereas back in the day, you know, the confidence slash arrogance of the candidates was what was being sought no more. So for those of you who uh, think that's the way to go, not anymore. I'm so glad you mentioned that because now let's go to the weakness question. Of course, they may coin it as areas for improvement. And it's disguised, that question is disguised many ways. Is what would coworkers say are your areas of development? What would your boss say? You need to be prepared for the same two weaknesses. Let's call them what they are. You know, I want you to have three strengths and two weaknesses. And here's the challenge with the weaknesses. People are afraid to show their self-awareness, show that, yeah, my boss continue. I don't hear the things I'm working on. People toss out weaknesses, which are strengths taken to an extreme. And the, the re recruiter sees right through it. So does the hiring manager. Oh, yeah, I'm really ambitious and energetic. And therefore, I take on too much and I run out of time. Like, really? So everyone needs to really read your reviews. Go dig if you forgot, but you should have t 
two things you're working on. So here's how weakness goes. Yes, I, I do have two areas. At least I have many areas of improvement, Bill. Thank you for asking. But I have two I'd like to share with you today. Okay, so you at least set the benchmark for two. Number one, the first one is that I go too fast through a project where I don't stop and see the details. I don't pay attention to the analytics. I stay too high level. However, I'm working on that by following a new system where I have a checklist for everything that forces me to stop and analyze the data. So what I did was I threw myself out there, but I also ended on that uptick where I am sharing what I'm doing about it. I don't just plop it on the table and say, there you go. I really suck at that. Uh, so really pick and pick Areas for improvement that don't throw you under the bus, like if you're applying for a financial role, don't say you're really bad with numbers, folks. Uh, that's not what you should either. So that's the other extreme of a weakness. But pick some reasonable ones that are real that you can really talk about because their next question may be, give me an example when you did that last. And there's a SAR for your weakness. This is why we write out our interview prep guide before even a role play. I do a video role play with everybody, but I don't do the video role play until they have written out their practice work and have great answers. Fabulous. You know, we've been doing this now for a while today, and there's so much more we could cover. What haven't we covered yet that would be important for us to bring in in order to optimize everyone's time here? I think the fact that interviewing, let's stay focused on interview for today, is that it's no longer the good old face-to-face, -face, and you need to cross many interview hurdles before you get to that final final, and some never go face-to-face. -face. So everyone needs to be prepared for great video interviewing, being ready, knowing their technology, how to deliver a great video interview, and there are skills behind phone interviews as well. So we don't have time to go into all those tips and tricks, but I teach all of those, and those are extremely important. Remember those, the big hurdle is acing every interview because then the finish line in my book is getting an offer in hand. The fun part is negotiating that offer. But let's get those interviews and win them. Let's cross that hurdle without that, that hurdle falling. And that means you're great on the phone, you are great in, in, on video and in person, and you're following up with a thank you note and graciously following up at least three times after that interview spaced seven days apart. People are afraid to be a pest, and I want to invite them to professionally and graciously follow up. Interesting. Three times seven days apart from each one? Yes. Yes. You're, you're not just dropping that dumb note that says, hey, what's the status? You can say, hey, Ray, I just remembered our conversation about my skill in analytics. I'd like to expand on it further. Or I'm still very excited about your position. Here's another drop of one of the three can be, oh, I just read this article that you guys just did a deal with so-and-so. That's exciting. I just want to let you know I'm still highly interested in this role. Stay interested. Don't try to be interesting and don't try to just, you know, just bother them with, where are you? Where are you? I haven't heard from you. But 
definitely be an interested party all the way through three tries, spaced seven days apart. And after three, go after silent. Three, they're probably just not that into you. You mm-hmm. may space them out a little longer, wait a month. Uh, but if they're not even responding after that, then you make that on your job tracker. I would turn that yellow like it's, it's iffy. And I'd move on, my, take my energy to the other nine that I'm chasing. And yes, yes, 10 job opportunities, career opportunities at the same time. I agree wholeheartedly. Dana, this is fabulous. Thank you for making time. How could folks find out more about you and the work that you do? Well, I'd be thrilled to have, first, I have a lot of free information. My blog on my website is searchable. Join my newsletter, free webinars. So that's my first level. The second level is my book is on Amazon. Just type Cut the Crap and you'll see it. It's called Cut the Crap, Get a Job. But the third level is most most exciting because it goes way deeper and gives you all the templates and it's called Job Search Masterclass. So my URL is either my name, Dana Manciagli, and I realize that's just a mouthful, or JobSearchMasterclass.com. All one word. Just type JobSearchMasterclass.com. And my ultimate uh, coaching is private too. So I offer the privates. But you have choices along the stair step. Just be a learner as you are with everything else learn the new age of job search. Thank you. Folks, we'll be back again with more. I'm Jeff Alpin, The Big Game Hunter, and I'll just simply say I've got a ton at my website, thebiggamehunter.us. Go to the blog, go exploring thousands of entries there that you can watch, listen to, or read that will help you find work more quickly. Also want to mention that Connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Mention that you saw the interview. I like knowing that this works for everyone. And once we're connected, if you happen to be interested in coaching, message me. We'll set up a time for a free discovery call. So I hope you enjoyed this. Hope you have a great day and take care. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.